0: We want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. Uh, thinking about the passage over in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Uh, let me go ahead and read that as you get your minds prepared for us to dig into this topic. Uh, Here in describing the early church, it says, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' doctrine, or apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And we have been spending these three months so far talking about what it means to be continually devoted to the apostles' doctrine. Uh, today is the last of those uh, lessons before we move on to talk about fellowship, which we will start next month. But uh, I would be remiss if I didn't spend at least a little bit of time talking about being devoted to the apostles' doctrine in terms of sharing that doctrine with other people, talking about what we traditionally and typically call evangelism. And so we're going to spend a few moments this morning talking about that topic, evangelism, what it means to share the doctrine of Jesus with others. Uh, that is very much the focus of the early church. Uh, that they spent a lot of time sharing the truth with others. Just turn with me over to Acts chapter 2. Uh, while you turn over there, let me say thank you for being here. We do have a few guests that we love to see. Uh, that we we see regularly, uh, I know Keith and Alyssa hopefully we will see more regularly in about two months when they move down here uh, once she is done with school, uh, so do keep her and her job search and such things like that in your in your prayers and it 's good to see Zach back again today, and everybody make sure you get a chance to meet Zach before you leave. Today And we have a few others that are just family that are in town, and it's always good to be with family. Thank you for being here and spending time with us this morning. All right, Acts chapter 2, we already read verse 42. Look with me back before that where it talks about the beginning of the church. Peter has delivered this great and a bit of an abrasive sermon here in Acts chapter 2, and the people responded uh, from their hearts and they wanted to know what they must do and Peter says repent and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit but if you look there in verse uh, reading the, the verses that followed it says in verse 41 those who accepted the message believed or were baptized and that day about 3,000 were added to them And so the beginning kind of happened with a flash, with a bang. It was a pretty big beginning. Could you imagine having an event or a sermon that was delivered and all of a sudden 3,000 people responded and wanted to become Christians? And the work that would be involved with that and how exciting that would be. But it didn't end there. If you look down at the very end of Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says, they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The early church did not have a one-and-done sermon and all of a sudden, okay, well now we've got this organization of people that we got to figure out what to do with, and so they, they stopped teaching in order to work on the group no they were defined by the activity of sharing the gospel message and we see according to the pattern in act that that began in Jerusalem and then it spread through Judea and then it went to Samaria and then it went to the uttermost parts of the world which was exactly what Jesus told them to do back in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 and so that's exactly what they did it started in Jerusalem and there in Judea, and we know that it spread up into Samaria by the time you get into Acts chapter 8. But at the beginning of Acts chapter 8, when they have faced their first persecution, it says there, Acts chapter 8 verse 4, so those who were scattered, which is everyone except the apostles, get that. At this point, and we'll look at some of these verses in a few moments, we've got thousands of christians gathered together staying there in jerusalem and in the surrounding areas when persecution arose everyone except the apostles back in verse one scattered and it says those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word everyone went on their way preaching the word None were exempt from that. None. And I've heard some people appeal to James chapter 3 verse 1 which says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, for we incur a stricter judgment. And they'll say, well, that means that there should only be a few chosen or maybe a few specially talented people who teach. I am proof that you don't need talent to do that. You just get up and do it. You get up and talk about truth. And and that passage is not saying you shouldn't become teachers as much as it is saying be aware that teachers incur a stricter judgment. And it goes on to explain why they incur a stricter judgment. Because the tongue is a dangerous thing to let flap around. And we will be judged for the words we use. The reason I say that it's not saying that we shouldn't be teachers is because there are many other passages that teach we should be teachers. Second Timothy chapter two and verse two, Paul tells Timothy there, "What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also." So what I have taught you. You teach others who will teach others who will then teach others who will teach others. Do you see the pattern? That's the pattern of the way the church works. is that teachers teach others to teach. And then that just keeps going and going. Flip a few pages over to Titus chapter 2 and verse 7. Titus chapter 2 verse 7. We'll read verse 6 so that we have the context. In the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach so that any opponent will be ashamed because he doesn't have a bad thing to say about it. We teach. And if that's not clear enough because I've heard some people say, well, you know, but that was Paul's instruction to Timothy, the evangelist, and Paul's instruction to Titus, who was an evangelist. We'll look over in Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5 says here, starting in verse 11 for the sake of context, we have a great deal to say about this, and it is difficult to explain since you've become too lazy to understand. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Here the implication is all of those to whom the writer of Hebrews is writing have had sufficient time to grow and mature to the point to where they should be teaching others. Because that was the eventual outcome of maturing in Christ that a Christian starts to teach. I'm not by any means implying by that that you need to become a pulpiteer, that you need to have an audience in front of you, that you need to necessarily teach in some official classroom capacity standing in front of an audience because there are some of us who are absolutely terrified of doing that. But that doesn't erase your responsibility to teach. Teaching does not have to be Public role. The teaching I have ever received is in the back of this auditorium, where somebody has pulled me inside and said, "Hey, Adam, I need you to do some thinking on something." Or, Adam, I'm not sure you brought this out in the right way. Or, Adam, what about this? And it's something I've never thought of before. Some of the best teaching I've ever received has been across the dining room table, where I was supposed to be teaching them they did just as much, if not more, teaching me. Some of the best teaching I've ever received has been from my own children, where they have revealed for me flaws in my personality or flaws in my character or have confronted me about something that I have done wrong and I've had to go and repent and change the way I think and act. Teaching is not necessarily Only a formal exercise, although I think it includes that. But teaching is something we do every day as a part of our everyday life, both through example and through word. Now, notice I'm saying both. I don't think you can teach only by example, and I don't think you can teach only by word without an example to back it up. You need both. You need both. But there is not any of us who cannot in conversation with someone share with them truth that will change their life. And there is not a single one of us who are exempt from the responsibility to teach with our lives and with our words. It is the way the Bible teaches the church should grow. Let me give you an example. You know, there, there is a traditional, what I call a traditional growth model for the church. And it is this. We are going to hire a personal worker, that's the term we use, a personal worker, as if other work is not personal. It's kind of cold and standoffish. But then there's the personal worker who who has the job of meeting with people and being personal with them. The personal worker... And in that model, typically what we see is uh, there's just an idea or goal of we're we're wanting to grow. And so we're hiring a man, we're hiring somebody to come in and do the job of teaching in our community. And and we want to see baptisms. We want to see people respond to the gospel. And so a lot of times when you see those personal workers, they will, you know, baptize 15 people a year. And we look at that and we go, oh, that, that's wonderful. That, that's the way this should go. That's the traditional model. Here's the biblical model. Every Christian is a personal worker. No exemptions. And and just for the sake of building a model, and I'm not saying this is the biblical standard or goal, but for the sake of building a model that, that we can use for comparison's sake, every person, every Christian makes it their goal to add one soul per year to the kingdom of God, One. So we got one man who's hired to add fifteen. We've got every man and woman who is hired or who not hired, their their job commissioned to them by God is to get out and meet with people and teach and share the gospel both through their example and through their words and, and hopefully be effective with one soul per year. You know, I've been hired as the personal worker for a lot of years I I think I have only personally hit the 15 souls per year mark one year of 18 or 19 now personally like where I personally studied from beginning to end. I met the person. I opened uh, the door through conversation. We sat down. We looked at the Bible together. They responded to the truth, that I did the whole process with somebody with 15 different people in a year, and, and, and I've, I've done that one time, I think. Now, I've, I've met the 15 baptisms a year goal a lot of times uh, over the years, but very rarely has it been exclusively me it's been a combination of things it's been people uh, children being baptized or it's been uh, a friend of a friend or you know somebody's neighbor who they already had the conversation opened up the door and all I did was come in and do some teaching or or maybe just met them at the building and did the baptism Uh, that 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 been my role several times through the years and it doesn't work. Maybe, maybe that's my own deficiency, but my experience in talking to people in different places is that it rarely works anywhere for that to be the model. The truth is preachers or evangelists or some sort of hired man are the absolute worst person you can hire to be a personal worker and here's why. What we do in this traditional model is we hire somebody generally from another town or another state to come into our our location and do all of the outreach and the evangelism and the personal work where they don't know anybody. Their entire circle of influence sits in the pews every Sunday. So we expect them to go and have you know study the bible in starbucks or set up some sort of meetup group or or have some sort of outreach where they're involved in the school or some sports program or the rotary club and so they they have to go out there and spend all this time building this circle of influence over which they can open opportunities for the gospel but then because they haven't been able to baptize enough people in a short enough amount of time we're going to get rid of them and get somebody else in here before they've ever actually built their circle of influence it takes a while to become a part of a community does all this sound familiar? not saying about Edwards Lake particularly but just in things you've seen over the years it's not a program that works Oftentimes, the preachers that do get up and and are fairly successful at, at baptizing a bunch of people do it with some sort of gimmick or program. But the problem is you have to put so much time into the gimmick and program that there's very little time actually used to actually grow and mature the new Christian. And so you start creating a baptism mill where we bring people in, we get them wet, and then we don't ever see them again. Well, we see them shortly thereafter. Because there's nobody really building those new Christians up and helping them and encouraging them to grow, and so they start falling away. And we wonder why it's not working. It doesn't work because it's not the biblical pattern. It's not the way the Bible says this works. Truth is, uh, let's take something you know, like the, the traditional model. What you've got is let's take our 75-person congregation here, and we hire somebody, and they come in, and they bring 15 people to Christ this year. And so we end the year at 90 people, and then the next year at 105, next year at 120, and the next year at 135, and then the next year at 150. And we go, wow, that was fantastic. And we look at that kind of growth, and we're, we're impressed by that. Should we be? I mean, again, it's not the biblical pattern. You know, this this model even assumes two things on on both sides of the equation. One is it assumes there's no losses in a congregation, which we have death and we have people that move and we have people that fall away. But it also doesn't assume the extra growth of family and friends and others that are associated with the new Christians. So, I mean, it kind of balances out. We could in five years be at, a, be at about double what we are now with the traditional model. Let me show you the biblical model. You take a 75-person congregation and every Christian at the congregation makes it their mission, their goal to share the gospel with one person. Could be more than that, but just, you just choose one and you focus on that one person for the year. In one year... We've accomplished, or let me me reword that, God has accomplished through us what the traditional model took five years to do. But then you can continue on that path. You've got 300 the following year, 600 the next year, 1,200 the following year, 2,400 people in five years. One of those looks more similar to what the Bible shows in the growth of the church. Which one of those looks like the book of Acts? I'd have a hard time arguing for the left side of that screen. But that's the side we so often land on. And I'll tell you why in a few moments. I don't think we, as God's people, should shoot for the traditional growth model. For no other reason than shouldn't we do things the way they did them in the Bible. And if that, that's our goal, we're, we're going to see incredible growth if we'll do it God's way. I mean, look at the difference in those two charts. I don't know if you're a visual person. Maybe, maybe you like charts better than list of numbers. But when you look through the book of Acts, you see this pattern Not of adding a few here and there, but in multiplying. We already read Acts chapter 2 and Acts uh, verse 41 and 47. Look with me at some of these other verses. Acts chapter 4, verse 4. But many of those who heard the message believed. And the number of men came to be about 5,000. That's men, not women and children also. It's... On the traditional growth model, do you know how long that would take to go from 3,000 to 5,000? A long time. Do you know how long it takes with the multiplication model, the biblical model? Not very long at all. Not very long at all. You look over in chapter 5, verse 14. Chapter 5, verse 14. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, multitudes of both men and and women. Chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews. We'll talk about that more tonight in tonight's sermon. Verse 7 of the same chapter. So the word of the Lord, or the word of God spread, and the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly. Some of your versions say multiplied in number. A large group of priests became obedient to the faith. You look over in chapter 9, verse 31. Chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in number. Chapter 11 and verse 21. You've got this statement. The Lord's hand was with them and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Verse 24. It says for he was a good man full of the holy spirit and faith and large numbers of people were added to the lord look over in chapter 16 verse 5 so the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers daily in numbers isn't it kind of obvious Just how much the church in the book of Acts grew and grew fast and multiplied and continued to expand and expand and expand. Now, our traditional model, we like it because it's traditional, it's the way it's done. I can't tell you how many business meetings I've sat in over the years where the first question that's asked whenever any idea is presented is, well, what other church is doing it that way? That's the first question asked. Or a complaint arises where they say, well, I ain't never seen a church of Christ do it that way before. So... Who, who said other groups are our standard? Shouldn't the Bible be our standard? Shouldn't the book of Acts be our standard? Shouldn't we be growing the way they did in the book of Acts not worried so much about tradition? Uh, we like the traditional growth model because it's easy. It's easy to hire a man to come and do the job that we all know we should be doing. It's easy. We like it because it, it defers the job to somebody else. And if it doesn't work, if we're not growing, well, well then we just get rid of that guy and we'll get, we'll get this other guy who will come in and be successful where that guy wasn't. And then when he's not successful, what we'll do is we'll get another guy. But we always have somebody to blame it on. And so when growth doesn't happen, it's not my fault. It's his fault. And then that becomes easier. Unfortunately, it's also typically very expensive. Very expensive. You you start programs. Programs take money. Uh, Not just expensive in money, it's expensive in time. You you start doing all of these programs and then you've got to do some sort of a radio program also and then a call in program of some sort. So you gotta set up phone lines and advertisements and all of that sort of stuff and and then we gotta get community involvement and that takes money. We gotta send people out there to put all that time into uh, these civil service clubs type things and, and so we'll do that and then we'll put advertisements up everywhere and then we'll have meetings and hire good speakers to come in and do these meetings and lectureships and they'll come in and they'll wow people, right? All those people who come from the community and sit in the pews for those meetings. Yeah, well, they'll, they'll just take off and we'll grow like, like gangbusters because of these meetings and lectureships and kids' events and... When do you stop? And I'll be honest, we can get so busy and we can get so expensive in our money and time that we don't actually have any time left over to do the actual work of teaching. And that's dangerous. It, it's comfortable and it feels good. I mean, I, I love VBS. VBS. I, I loved the, the storytelling event that we did last year. That was a blast. I enjoyed it. I stressed out the high heavens over it, but I, I really enjoyed that program. I, I enjoyed all the events that went along with it. But it, did it really accomplish the mission? I'm not saying it's the wrong thing to do, but I, I am saying that sometimes we can think we can get so busy and focused on the busyness that we forget the purpose. And, and shouldn't we be focused on the purpose? I, honestly, I, we like that slow growth because it's manageable. It's easy to meet people when you're growing slow. And to give each person individual attention, we, we can do that within the, that small time frame that we've devoted to these types of things. But biblical growth, it's radical. And I don't mean that like cool 80s term radical. You know, I, I, it, it's, it's different. It, it's strange. It, it's uncomfortable oftentimes. It is a bizarre concept. And often requires some bizarre activity that isn't going to be smiled upon by other churches of Christ. Uh, it It's difficult it's difficult because it requires every single one of us to get off the pews and do some work. It requires us to have difficult conversations sometimes with people. It requires us to go uh, to to become a training focused church that's a novel concept isn't it? That we would become a church that was focused on training our membership. It's almost like that comes straight out of Ephesians chapter 4. That we have been given apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the building up and the equipping of the saints. Biblical concept, brothers and sisters. That we would be a church that focused on training our members to be effective as we grow. But that's different than the traditional model. It creates uncomfortable situations. Yeah, you know, one thing I have learned: every person has baggage. Everyone. Every person you talk to in the community out there comes with baggage. They've got difficulties they've lived through. They've got biases and prejudices that they fight against. They have opinions and ideas that you are going to disagree with. Isn't it worth teaching them so that we can all be in heaven together? Even if we disagree with them politically... Or we disagree with them on social issues. Or we disagree with them over how they think things should be done within, uh, as a group of God's people. It's going to cause us to have a lot more Bible studies over fundamental issues. It's going to cause us to sometimes question our own understandings of things. That's that's growth, it's how you grow. Just last night I was talking to Robbie, and uh, he, he shared with me uh, some information I had never heard before, not, not ever thought about, but it, it made perfect sense. And I'm like, man, I, that makes me feel stupid. And Robbie said a really wise thing. He said, that's the point, isn't it? You feel stupid, so you learn something. That's the point, isn't it, brothers and sisters? There are going to be times where we have to humble ourselves and and change the way we think and the way we do for the sake of bringing about growth. I tell you, this biblical model of growth feels amazing. It's hard to not be excited when you are, as it says over here in Acts chapter 16, verse the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers could you imagine sitting around waiting for the email that was going to come out about who was baptized this morning and having that expectation almost like it would be a disappointing day when that email didn't come out because that would be abnormal that, that's how much growth we're seeing in the church is that we, we hear every day new names that we got to get in our head, new people we got to meet because the church has grown again. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be an incredible experience? It, it, it can easily get out of control. You, know, you look back at that model we were looking at. Let's, let's say we did the goal of every Christian. Reproducing himself or herself in every year. That first year, where we grow by seventy-five, we'd, we'd have three baptisms every two weeks. Just, just running the numbers. Three baptisms every two weeks. I was going to say a baptism and a half every week, but I, I thought that just seemed disingenuous. Like, how do you have a half baptism? But three baptisms. Every other week, we're having to meet three new people in their families or anybody associated with them. We're having to constantly meet new people because so many people are turning to Jesus. Wouldn't that be incredible? By year five, when we talked about year five, that means 23 baptisms per week. Could you imagine? Could you imagine that kind of growth? What that would feel like? How incredible it would be to experience God moving and working in such a visible and powerful way? Can you imagine how easy it would be to let that get out of control? I mean, you, you've uh, our elders would have to work 24 hours a day just to keep up with the new names much less getting to know their lives and their stories and how they can serve them the way that they serve us. It would be incredible. But it's the way the early church grew. And and we're going to see how the apostles handled some of those things tonight uh, in this evening's sermon as we dig into the beginning of Acts chapter 6. But I think it's important for us to recognize just because it's difficult, just because it could get out of control, does that mean we shouldn't do it the biblical way? Or maybe we should just make the kind of changes necessary in order to do it both the biblical way and the way it grows. One of my favorite things about the biblical model, no programs No superfluous activities. It's free and it works anywhere you go. Because all it requires from you is that you be willing to have a conversation and you be willing to help somebody meet Jesus. What excuses do you have as to why we're not doing this? You know... If we're going to do church growth the biblical way, that's going to require some changes in our activities. I mean, could you imagine if we busted out the, 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 the walls of this building within two years? What, what would we do? How would we make decisions on how we're all going to fit and how we're all going to have an opportunity to worship? Oh, it it costs a lot of money to build a building these days. So how How would we... How would we worship? Our our church family time would would have to take a priority. It's the only way we could keep up. Our, Our Bible classes and training would have to change to involve other things and other ideas and other activities and other practices. There would be a focus on individual relationships so that nobody falls in the cracks. And that's difficult. When you're growing fast, it is easy for people to fall into the cracks You don't see that in the early church. Not not through this book of Acts. We'd approach the world differently. You know, biblical growth would require us to to start looking at everybody not as people but as souls in need of Jesus. I, I hesitate to use the term prospect because we, we kind of, that's such a sanitized term. We use it in business all the time when talking about uh, clients or talking about, uh, you know, people who, who we're going to try to help, you know, in some way sell something to. We're not selling anything here. All we're doing is introducing them to the Lord who can change their life. And we'd start seeing everybody through those terms. We'd approach our responsibilities differently we'd steer every conversation we had with every person we had one with to important things because it would be that important to us. We'd be so enthused and excited about, about serving God and about, about seeing another soul at Jesus and growing in a relationship with people that we'd want to have those kind of conversations with them. It would be what would motivate us We'd be continually devoted to the apostles' doctrine because we'd be continually talking about the apostles' doctrine. So why don't we do that? I've asked that question over the years, and here are some of the answers I've gotten back. First one depresses me to no end. People will say evangelism doesn't work anymore. It's just not true. Not true at all. There are too few laborers in the field, maybe. But evangelism, it it works. Others will say no one wants to hear or people aren't looking for the truth anymore. Again, not true. They just don't know where to look. And the reason they don't know where to look is because there's not enough of us out there having open conversations about it so that they know and they can overhear and they can start asking questions. Uh, well, you know, here in Alabama, the Church of Christ is hated. People, people don't like the Church of Christ. It's not true either. I find that less and less true just from a conversational perspective. But honestly, the problem is people, don't, people only know what they've been told. And all they need to do is meet somebody who can be an example both in conduct and in word to show them That we're not some cult of people who think that they're the only ones going to heaven. We are a group of people who want to go to heaven. That's it. And we want to take them with us. I've heard people say that people don't actually need the gospel anymore. Really? I've heard that. And and others who, who don't say it, but they act like it. You'll have a conversation, you know, have you, have you talked to your neighbor about the gospel? Well, you know, but they're, they're doing good. They're, they're pretty moral people. I've never had a disagreement with them. They keep their lawn cut real nice. I didn't know the requirements for heaven had changed. But, but that's how people think. I've heard people say, well, I don't know what to say. Or, or Or, what if I say the wrong thing? that's again why we need to become a training group, a training church but i'm I'm gonna be blunt and say this: the only way to truly say the wrong thing is to say nothing. That's it? That's the worst thing you can say. There's nothing. Yeah, it, it might happen that when you have a conversation with someone and you say something, you say it a little bit wrong, and now they have questions that you don't quite have the answer for, and so you have to go and you have to dig and find answers and get back to them. There's you know, more conversation that needs to be happening. Yeah, that, that happens. But that doesn't happen when you say nothing. So we need to say something. We need to do Something we need to be devoted to the apostles' doctrine, the way the Bible teaches that we should. I I I don't say any of this to guilt you. I I hope you walk away from this sermon not feeling upset that you know Adam's saying we're not doing enough. Or I'm I'm not the judge. I'm just up here, hopefully sharing with you truth. What I want you to walk away from this sermon with is this. If we can do more, we should do more. And that's for you to decide. Have you made it your determination to bring someone to Jesus this year? If not, you can do more and you should do more. Maybe you're not even that far and you haven't yourself yet responded to Jesus. You haven't yet committed yourself to serving him and doing things his way and living his truth. You haven't yourself yet had your sins washed away in baptism. And I encourage you, if if that's the case for you, today's a good day to do it. Today's the best day to do it. And we want to baptize you into Christ if that's what you need. If you need the invitation to become a child of God through baptism, we encourage you, uh, come forward and let us know how we can serve you as we stand and sing this song. my Thanks for listening and studying God's word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation, or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.